Today's reading is from Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us, who shall go before us? As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it in a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once, your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have acted perversely, and they have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them, and have cast for themselves an image of a calf, and have worshipped it, and sacrificed to it, and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone, so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and of you I will make a great nation. But Moses implored that the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath, change your mind, and do not bring disaster to you, on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster he had planned to bring on his people. The word of life. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Let's begin with a word of prayer. The Lord be with you. Lord, we thank you for your word that it brings us both to death and life, and we pray for that today as we explore this story. In the name of Jesus, amen. So we have this, uh, this 21-month-old month, 21 daughter we brought with us. Her name, is, uh, her name is Eden. And it used to be that we could convince her to come to church, you know, just because she was excited to be there and listen to Daddy talk. But now we have to sort of say, well, you know, there's also a playroom. And <laughs> you have to entice her. And, and as, so as she gets older, I've been fearing a particular conversation. And the conversation goes something like this. But Daddy, didn't you say that you would do this? 
Maybe you've had that conversation before where you uh, indicate to your child, well, I want you to do this thing, but, but Daddy, didn't you say this? And uh, I used to be a middle school teacher, so I've had this conversation many times with middle school students, but I've been fearing it with my own daughter. And I actually think that's a little bit of what this text is about. It's, first of all, we should recognize it's kind of a familial text. It's, uh, in many ways, a text that sounds a lot like a dysfunctional marriage. Or maybe we could say a marriage uh, 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 on, uh, that's uh, having some troubles. Did you hear what God says to Moses? Your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, Moses, have acted perversely. You could imagine this, right? Maybe in a, uh, in, a, uh, in, a, in a mixed family scenario. Well, your kids are the ones who are causing the problems here. And so, Moses, you need to go fix it. Well, Moses enters into the conversation at this point, and I think provides a really interesting primer on prayer. And that's, there are so many angles that we could take this story. We could talk about idolatry, right? And the fact that the people of Israel used the very gold that God had given them from Egypt to create this idol. We could talk about uh, uh, the, the temptation toward idolatry in the process of waiting. Notice what they say. We don't know where this Moses guy is. He's taking too long. Let's make some gods of our own. So we could talk about waiting and how that often produces for us idolatry in the context of that anxiety. But today I want to talk about Moses as an example of prayer. Because I think Moses does some interesting things here that on the one hand uh, make him out to be quite really the hero of the story, right? Notice Moses wins the argument, which is kind of interesting. You think, well, if you get in an argument with God, you're almost certainly going to lose, right? That would be at least the assumption, but that's not true in this case, which is very interesting, which makes me think, I might want to pay attention to Moses and, what, and, and the way that he prays and the way that he engages with God. So that's the angle that I want to take it this morning. I think he provides a really interesting example of what it might mean for us to pray and especially pray in the context of adversity. You know, I think the most terrifying line in this sermon is this. Uh, it's in verse 10 if you, if you like to follow along in the bulletin. It says, leave me alone. Leave me alone. This is God speaking to Moses, right? God has said, hey, your people, uh, uh, they're, uh, they've, uh, they've turned, you know, turned, created this idol. They have uh, uh, left me. They have abandoned me. And they're now, uh, and now I am going to, um, I am going to destroy this people, this stiff-necked people, and I'm going to start over with you. And God has this terrifying line, leave me alone so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and that I may consume them, and of you I will make a great nation. So, I mean, it's kind of a good deal for Moses, right? Because I don't think it's really been that easy for him, you know, up to this point, wandering around in the wilderness with all these people. Here's a chance for Moses to be Noah 2.0, right? That's exactly what happens to, that's what happens to Noah. God says, well, you're the most righteous person in this generation. So what I'm going to do, Noah, is I'm going to wipe out all these people and I'm going to start over with you. And then uh, you're going to get to populate the earth. You get to be this great patriarch and everybody will remember you. You were the one righteous guy in this whole generation. Well, Moses, though, tries to break that pattern. Maybe Moses remembers what God said at the end of the flood story. I'm never going to do that again. All right, this, is what, this is what God says. God looks back on the, on the flood and on the chaos and says, that wasn't the best 
that wasn't the best idea. Well, God is at this place again where God wants to be let alone, where God no longer wants to engage with Israel, but Moses, is go- Moses has different ideas. Moses implores the Lord and says, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? So what is the first thing that Moses does? He reminds God, no, these are not my people. I did not give birth to these people. They are children of your promise. They're children of your promise. I could never create such a miracle. The people of Israel is a miracle. Remember the story. It begins all the way in Genesis with Abraham and Sarah. Uh, And Sarah's barren womb and God says, you may be old. You may be beyond your years, but I am going to create a nation out of you. Moses says to God, these are your people because there is no way that I could have brought about such a miracle. The ones whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power. And then he appeals a little bit to God's vanity, which is kind of interesting. Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. Change your mind. Do not bring disaster on your people. We don't normally think that it's okay to give commands to God. But did you hear what Moses, I mean, look, we're in, we're in chapter 32, which means that we're uh, just 12 chapters earlier was the Ten Commandments, where God says, hey, I am the one who gives commands. I'm the one who's going to tell you, Israel, how to live. Here, Moses is going to give a set of his own commands, and they sound like this. Turn from your anger. Do not bring this disaster uh, on your people. And we actually do this, too. If you listen to our songs in worship and to our liturgy, we say things like, come Lord Jesus. We pray and we offer these commands to God and it's it's a statement of faith. It's It's not a statement of arrogance. It's a way of saying, God, we believe you to be a God who is gracious. God, we believe you to be a God who fulfills promises. And so we're going to let those promises inform our boldness and we're going to bring our requests before you. And that's what Moses does. Right in the face of God. Turn away from that anger and change your mind. And then... Moses uh, deals the death blow here in verse 13. When When he reminds God of the promises that God has made. Remember, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Jacob, uh, your servant, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And then, this remarkable little line that you saw on the last slide, and the Lord changed his mind (laughs) about the disaster he planned to bring upon his people. Stunning. It's not the only place this happens, but it really doesn't happen that often. And for me, the most important question is that, well, what does that mean about how God thinks of, you know, relates to history and all the, I I don't know. We don't know those kinds of things. But what the story says, and this is the God who is in deep relationship, and such a relationship that Moses is able to bring God's prior words to do what our little kids do and say, but daddy, you said. This is what you said. Uh, one, uh, one author puts it this way. This is where Moses holds to God against God. When God wants to hide 
when God wants to remain silent, Moses says, no, you have made specific commitments to these people, and it, 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 that is going to be the basis of our relationship, and I refuse to move from this place. Uh, you will fulfill your promises. It reminds me, in fact, of the, the Canaanite woman in Matthew 12. I think I've got the chapter, and it's 12 or 15. It slips my mind right now. But uh, maybe you remember what happens. She goes to Jesus, and she wants Jesus to heal uh, her daughter. But she's not, uh, she's not Jewish, of course. And um, Jesus dismisses her, right? Even calls her a little dog. And what does she say? She, she doesn't take Jesus' no for an answer. She continues to pursue him and says, but even the dogs eat the crumbs off the master's table. If you read the Markan version of it, the one in Mark, Jesus actually goes and hides in a house and she, chased, she runs him down and chases him into that house. And what, does, what are Jesus' final words? It's, he change, Jesus changes his mind and says, you are a woman of great faith. This is prayer. This is the angle on prayer that I wanted us to look at today, that part, there will be times in our lives when it sounds like, when it seems like God is silent, when, God, when it sounds like God is saying, leave me alone. When, when heaven seems silent, when our prayers just seem to go up and not receive any sort of hearing. And what these stories encourage us to do is to say, God, you've promised to be a particular kind of God. You've promised to be a God to me who raises even the dead. You have promised to be a God who comes to me in forgiveness. You have promised to be the good shepherd who walks with me through the valley of shadow of death. I will settle for nothing less. Now, how about that for prayer? <laughs> That's not how we learn to pray in the church, is it? We don't learn to pray with tenacity often. We learn to pray with solemnness, with humility, and all of that is entirely appropriate. But there are times when we are also called, I think, to cling like the Canaanite woman did to the Lord. To do what Moses did and to say, God, everything in my life right now contradicts your promises. Everything in my life right now seems to militate against your promises and, 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 and seems to indicate that you are the farthest thing from me right now. But one thing I know, one thing I know from the sacraments, one thing I know from your word is that you are a God who is for me and that I am convinced that neither life nor death nor angels nor demons nor past nor present nor anything in all of creation can separate me from the love of God. It may not feel that way, but that's what I'm going to claim because that's what faith is. It's to live in the hope of what we do not see and to live clinging to those promises even when it looks like God may be turning God's face. Amen.